Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, May 11th. We begin with a wrap-up of this week's episode of The West Block. We speak with guest host and Global News Ottawa correspondent Abigail Beeman about a wide range of topics this week, including the continuing investigation into sexual misconduct in the Canadian military and the harsh words of Mayor Nahad Nenshi surrounding COVID-19 protests happening in our province that have made national news headlines. You know, we've heard a lot about the after effects of the coronavirus, including lasting health issues months after people have contracted the virus. When we speak with a Calgary-based physiotherapist who's running a virtual therapy program to help people who are suffering from breathing issues post-COVID. With the vaccination rollout moving at a brisk pace in our country, what does this mean for the future of travel, in particular the price tag? We catch up with the travel lady, Leslie Cater, on the deals to be had right now and the possibility of rising prices in the months to come. And finally, we flip through the pages of Saver Calgary magazine. Editor Cami Laird joins us to talk about the focus of this month's edition, the many plant-based tasty options offered up by our great Calgary restaurants. 609 Mornings with Sue and Andy trying to connect with Abigail Beeman. She hosted the West Block. Oh, I guess we've got her on the line here. And, uh, of course, lots Hi. to talk about, uh, including, uh, of course, one particular guest very close to home, Calgary Mayor Nahad Nenshi, on the national screen this weekend, voicing his frustration at Alberta's uh, current COVID situation. And Mayor Nenshi went even as far as to call the anti-government, uh, anti-lockdown rallies, rather, thinly veiled white nationalists, supre- uh, supremacists, uh, anti-government protests as well. And with more on this week's episode, including more on the military, we're joined by Abigail Beeman, Global National Ottawa Correspondent. Good morning to you, Abigail. Good morning. Well, we want to start with local. And, uh, you know, Mayor Nenshi was, uh, had a lot of conviction when he said what he said about these rallies. So can you break it down for us? Yeah, absolutely. That was really the big headline from the show uh, right across the country. Uh, he was, Mayor Nenshi was responding to some comments made by Conservative MP uh, Michelle Rempel-Garner in a emergency debate in the House of Commons about the situation in Alberta, which had taken place the week prior. Uh, and Michelle Rempel-Garner was, was saying that uh, it was, quote, very paternalistic to uh, assume that that uh, people out on the streets in these protests uh, were were there in you know flagrant uh, uh, in disregard for the law. She was saying that these are people who have to eat. She was talking about the economic situation in Calgary, and uh, Mayor Nenshi really took issue with that. Uh, he began the interview by saying, uh, I, "I apologize if you could hear my eyes rolling in the back <laughs> of my head uh, over these comments from from the House of Commons." And when I asked him to to elaborate on that, he he really, as as you broke it down there, uh, talked about this uh, thinly veiled white nationalist protest to describe uh, what's happening. And then, Abigail, this week, it's been interesting here in Calgary because the mayor came out and said, you know what, I misspoke. I shouldn't have said thinly veiled. I should have said uh, basically overt and and very obviously that's what is going on. So he's he's not just, you know, he's not backing off. He's certainly even doubling down on the whole statement. Well, it's interesting because uh, after those comments were made on the West Block, you saw a lot of other people asking that question to some other politicians. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, NDP leader, sort of drew that link as well, uh, saying that the, that that link was possible. So, I, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure if Mayor Nenshi felt uh, supported in what he said that he that he could you know double down on it. But but as you say, that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Also, something that has been kind of front row and center on the West Block is the sexual misconduct scandal with the Canadian military. And you had the chance to speak with Dominic LeBlanc, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister. Uh, On, uh, you know, Katie Telford, uh, you know, somebody so tight to uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and what she did 
or didn't know when it comes to the complaints or when it came to the complaints of the chief of the defense, uh, Jonathan uh, Vance. Uh, what did he say about Katie Telford? So the the big question that I and, and many other people had about that whole situation is why didn't Katie Telford tell the prime minister that there was a complaint? And important to say, you know, a complaint, because the, the testimony that uh, Ms. Telford gave over and over and over again, she repeated that she did not know the nature of the complaint. She did not know that it was uh, sexual in nature, but she knew that a complaint uh, existed. And so that was the big question. You know, should she have told the prime minister? And uh, Minister LeBlanc uh, stood by behind her and said, no, she shouldn't have told the prime minister and and uh, and held the government line that everybody did what they were supposed to do in reporting this kind of thing or in trying to, to follow the process for for this type of a complaint. What was his reasoning for saying that she, she didn't, didn't need to or shouldn't have spoken to the prime minister about it? Yeah, that's a good question. And I and uh, I'll put it this way. The first time I asked him whether she should have told the prime minister, he didn't answer the question at all and just talked about what a great record Katie Telford has and, and, and how he stands by her. And so the second time I pressed him on it, he just said no, that she that she did what she was supposed to do. Uh, and it's, you know, not for politicians to investigate. And, and these other lines that we have heard, uh, especially from from Minister Sajid on this before, not not a real clear answer, uh, although I guess really the only person who can't give a real clear answer on that is is Katie Telford and we did not hear that in in her testimony last week maybe more to come uh, fingers crossed there because I know Canadians are chomping at the bit to get to the bottom of that yeah switch gears and talk about the vaccine rollout in our nation and you had the chance to talk to Dr. Alan Bernstein from the COVID-19 vaccine task force and there were some you know very confusing mixed messages if you will about preferred vaccine uh, for for Canadians uh, what are you hearing about vaccine confidence and what did Dr. Bernstein have to say? That's really what I wanted to get at there, the the situation which blew up over NASI. Uh, and I will say that, you know, NASI hasn't changed its tune. I think a lot of people felt very caught off guard hearing that message that there's a preferred vaccine, that the mRNA vaccines, which is Pfizer and Moderna, are, are the preferred vaccine over uh, the traditional viral vector type vaccine that we see in AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. But NASI has said that uh, two weeks prior, they made the same comments and for whatever reason, they didn't get picked up uh, in the same way. So perhaps consistent in their messaging, but still very confusing when we've heard politician after politician come out and say the best vaccine to get is the first one that's available to you. So that's what I was trying to unpack uh, with Alan Bernstein, who sits on that federal vaccine task force. And he said that it was unfortunate uh, that that uh, what what uh, what happened with NASI. And he said he felt badly for he felt bad for NASI as well as for Canadians who were left confused by this information. Uh, and and he said the worst thing that anybody can do right now is 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 have a hit to vaccine confidence or to increase vaccine hesitancy. So remains to be seen. But I know a lot of people who had their first AstraZeneca shot are really interested in this idea of mixing doses and can they get a Pfizer or, or Moderna for their mm-hmm. second shot and I know I know there are lots of people who simply don't want to take AstraZeneca because uh, because of what's happened and, and that is the the undermining that I, I think a lot of health officials uh, desperate for people to get vaccinated and, and move forward out of this are, are really disappointed about. I bet it I mean it's you can understand why people are concerned and questioning it because there has been yes. so much misinformation out there yet the Prime Minister coming out and saying yet again every single vaccine approved in Canada is safe and effective and he's not backing down from that. 
No, but I do think that there's a really interesting shift in messaging uh, that you're hearing the prime minister say more and more every vaccine approved for use is safe and effective, which is, you know, slightly different from the first the best one for you is the first one that's available. Right. I think there's an acknowledgement there uh, that that now that that message has been has been muddled, uh, but absolutely not backing down from uh, the fact that all of these vaccines are, are safe and effective. Sounds like a, a busy show for you on the West Block. Thank you uh, for sharing your time with us this morning, Abigail. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Abigail Beeman, a global national Ottawa correspondent, also hosted this week's edition of the West Block. I believe Mercedes Stevenson uh, will be back in the seat tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Tomorrow's not Sunday, although I wish it was um, really on Sunday's edition of the West Block. But very interesting. To me, it sounds like, in just my opinion, a game of hot potato going on in Ottawa when it comes to this whole sexual misconduct scandal. Well, I didn't want to say we didn't know exactly. Well, something is happening. Like, let's get to the bottom of this. We really need to get to the bottom of this and fix what's going on in the Canadian military. Abigail and Mercedes doing great work, Mm -hmm. but it's tough to to nail people down when they just don't want to give you an answer and want to dance around about four or five questions. 709 Mornings with Sue and Andy. Calgary physiotherapist Jessica DeMars says 10 to 30% of people are experiencing COVID symptoms longer than 12 weeks. And for some, that's up to a year That's why she's created Breathe Well Physio, a program to help Albertans recover from the lasting impact of the virus. With more details on the program, Jessica DeMars joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, can you you break down and and describe these long-lasting symptoms? Are there various types and uh, do some last longer than others? Um, Yeah, it's it's kind of a muddled area. Um, Certainly, we've got um, some people that are experiencing symptoms, you know, like you said, longer than that, you know, even the, the 12-week mark, we're getting definitely into into what we call long COVID. And so some are experiencing um, things like shortness of breath. Some are experiencing really profound fatigue. Um, and some are having things like a racing heart, uh, chest pain. Some people will have voice issues. Some people will have ongoing digestive issues. It's really kind of all over the place. And um, some people... Some people are just having a longer recovery than we would think from a virus, and some people are just simply put, not getting better. So tell us a little bit about the program that you've created then. I mean, it's obviously not just for those who are having issues breathing, though we know that COVID does do some major damage to the lungs. But beyond that, what what help are you uh, making available for folks? Um, yeah, so we've partnered with um, uh, a local uh, not-for-profit uh, rehab center, Synaptic, here in Calgary, and um, that allows us to raise money for the program, and it's an eight-week virtually delivered program um, where we go through um, just some strategies that, that can help manage symptoms, um, getting people aware of, of what's going on. Uh, one of the big things that we know about post-viral illness is that you can't push through it, you can't you know, it's not like, oh, okay, enough of this, I'm done, I'm going to get back to doing what I was doing. Um, that doesn't seem to work and can make people worse. Um, we'll give them some breathing exercises that'll help, not just with breathlessness, but just good quality recovery. Um, we will discuss some of the mental health aspects of uh, being, you know, healthy and fine one day, and then a few months later, you're uh, essentially facing a, a debilitating chronic disease. So we'll kind of cover all of those kind of topics, navigating healthcare, and it just gives people that are out there, many that are out there kind of floundering, um, hopefully some assistance and some validation as well. 
Jessica, my experience with physio was uh, after having a, a knee injury and also uh, following a car accident, I went to physio for my um, my hand. So to me, I was kind of surprised to see physiotherapy and breathing attached. So can you can you break down that aspect? Because it's, it's new to me anyway. I'm sure it's uh, something that is deep-rooted in the, in the practice. But how does it work? Yeah, so it, it is deep-rooted. That's, that is one of our roots is, is working with people, um, you know, after hospitalization, say, maybe, and after ICU. Physio plays a huge role in that, um, and within the hospital systems, within people who have lung disease like uh, COPD and asthma and lung cancer. Um, but it's, it's a little rarer, I suppose, in the community, in the private practice realm, which is where I live. Um, and basically what I do is I just, I work uh, with people with breathlessness. So prior to COVID, I was working with a r- range of individuals with, with uh, breathlessness related to different, different issues, whether they were athletes or, like I said, people with lung disease and trying to um, help, help with that. And then at the outset of the pandemic, of course, it was being a respiratory pandemic. I thought, okay, I'm probably pretty well suited for this because there'll be a lot of people coming out of it with some breathlessness and, and after ICU visits and things like that. But what has has definitely changed is this isn't just a respiratory issue. This isn't just your lungs. This is a full body post-viral illness. And it really is coming down to the fatigue portion of things that, that is, is probably more disabling than any of the breathlessness issues. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, obviously it's so new. We don't have a lot for resources to look back on, but we have heard, and Andy and I know a couple of people, we've spoken to many on this show who really struggle just with daily living and the everyday mundane activities that they just can't seem to get through. So this is so key in helping them maybe live a normal life again. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to do is just help them manage their symptoms and find strategies that they can, they can you know, function um, to a, a better level. I mean, some are limited to they can shower every other day or every three days, and that's, that's their activity because it wipes them out so much. And, and really, this isn't new. Um, there's always been illness um, after a virus. I mean, you know, think about mono. I, I, if it was ever common when you were a kid and, mm-hmm. and there was always a few people that were like, oh, it took them a year to recover. Well, that, that's the reality of viruses is there's always 10% of people who struggle to recover and, and actually don't recover. And they may go on to have uh, a very serious disabling disease called myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome. So we're, we're at a big risk here of having a large number of people in Alberta and in Canada and really around the world um, that are going to have significant permanent impacts from this. Jessica, you know, obviously this is reaction to the pandemic and the virus. So I'm wondering if we can expand this next question to include all physiotherapy in that it's such a literally, excuse the pun, hands-on practice. It's, it's such a relationship you have with your physiotherapist. Uh, let's talk about that pivot and uh, what this will look like as well virtually and how difficult it was to, to get something like this together virtually. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, at the outset of the pandemic, when there was that first lockdown, a lot of us did did um, um, kind of pivot to a virtual format. For me, because of what I do on that kind of, for lack of a better term, breath coaching format, it actually fit in really well with virtual. And, and the reason the program came about was because I was having this influx of individuals with long-term symptoms and I was noticing that I was kind of saying the same things, coaching and the same strategies over and over. And, and again, it was all in an, a, a virtual format. And 
I quickly also realized that I don't have enough hours in the day to, to meet the demands of all the people that are out there. And in fact, you know, I can, all of us physiotherapists are going to be inundated with this because there are so many people experiencing long-term symptoms. So mm-hmm. the, the virtual format allows, allows me to, to get to more people at once. We can't do group together in person right now. So um, that really helps. Um, the biggest thing has just been um, putting the content together. And then because it is a, it, it, it's donor funded, we're, we're kind of, I'm hoping by the end of the program, I'll have enough funding to cover the cost of the program. But I feel really strongly it's important that people have these, um, have these tools and strategies available to them. Good and bad news that I suspect you're going to be very busy for the next little while with this program. But thank you for so much for telling us about it. I think it's so key that people know it's available to them. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That is Calgary physiotherapist Jessica DeMars. And the website, if you want more information, breathewellphysio.com. 749 mornings with Sue and Andy. As vaccinations ramp up, things are looking more positive for the travel industry. And as we look forward to traveling again, should we expect great deals will be coming our way? Uh, with some insight, we're joined by Leslie Cater. You know her as the travel lady. Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning, Andy. Are, are we dreaming if we think the travel will be super cheap, that we'll find great deals to lure us back or what? I, I think that is a little bit of a dream. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is when the restrictions are finally listed and, and the PM said it's likely Canadians can travel in the summer, I think initially there will be some good deals, certainly in airline tickets, just as an, uh, you know, to induce uh, people to come back and start traveling. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, travel products like flights and cruises and those, they're in short supply because the demand for next year has been unbelievable Mm. it really has and they have lost so much money leslie they need to make it back somehow and how are they going to do that by taking our cash because we can't wait to travel again and probably don't for the most part care how much it's going to cost well exactly that's right that's what they're noticing the trending is that people are going for more exotic vacations now i'm talking about people who book for next year more exotic, they're upgrading their accommodation. Uh, It's basically the attitude, well, you know what? I've been locked up for two years and now I'm really going to enjoy myself on this next vacation. Uh, But what I'm seeing as well and what I'm hearing from industry experts is that the prices that you can book now for next year are not going to be available forever because the space is filling up and uh, they don't want to undercut, you know, those people who've supported them by booking yeah. early. So they're not going to reduce the pricing. Something we've talked about uh, with you quite often, uh, Leslie, particularly months back, was, you know, insurance um, for, for cancellation, for example. Like, uh, see, I, I'm still, I want to travel. I want to get back mm-hmm. out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'd be a, a little reticent to look at something months and months or maybe even next year down the road with the uncertainty. Are there still some safeguards in place for somebody like me? Well, many of the suppliers have got very flexible policies, you know, um, cruise with confidence or, um, you know, you can cancel at any time up to so many days prior and, and get a refund. So they, suppliers realize that there is a reluctance and we're going into a kind of an unknown realm. 
So they, they are being sensitive to those issues. But I think once we do start the traveling again this summer or whenever that might be, then I think people are going to gain more confidence and then we're going to see a real deluge of people, especially I think for kind of November this year onward mm-hmm. and then into next year. I think it'll be a little slow, like say if they lifted the travel advisory in August. I think, you know, it will be a little slow while momentum picks up. But from then onwards, and you know, there's the the old thing of FOMO. Your neighbor tells you that they've booked a holiday. And I'm like, what the heck? Let me get on this. Exactly. And Leslie, I know you don't, you can't, we don't know what's going to happen. But do you suspect that it'll be about, you know, making sure that we, whether it's a, a passport, a vaccination passport or mm-hmm. negative testing or masks, do we think that's going to be sort of sticking around for the next little while? Absolutely. I think it will do. And I think it also is going to depend on the destination you go to as well. And also remember coming back into Canada as a returning Canadian, you want to be able to show that you're fully protected. So that's going to be important. So much. Do we book today? Do we book now? Let's all go somewhere. Come on. Yes. <laughs> so much to think about. And these, uh, to yes. some extent, could be the most well-planned out, well-thought-out vacations <laughs> yes. in the history of time. Indeed. Uh, thank Indeed. you so much uh, for your time this morning, Leslie. Okay. Thank you, guys. Stay well. She is Leslie Cater, the Travel Lady. You can find her on social media at the Travel Lady or thetravellady.ca. 8.50. The May-June issue of Savor Calgary magazine is out now and here to chat with us about how to vegetarian in Calgary and much more. We're joined by the editor of Savor magazine, Cammie Laird. Hi, Cammie. Hi, Sue. How are you doing? Oh, rocking to the Go-Go's just now. Right? We Loving it. A little song to bring you in. Hey, we've got great growers. We've got Pavlova in our city, but let's talk about how to vegetarian to begin with, shall we? We shall. It was um, not so long ago that vegetarians were sort of relegated to falafels and really bad pasta dishes, (laughs) as um, our friend Elizabeth Chorney Booth writes all about um, her experience as a vegetarian in the city uh, a while ago. And now, thank goodness, um, the options have opened wide up and there's really so much to choose from. So we decided to sort of dedicate our May-June issue to the plant eaters among us. And uh, so lots of stuff in the magazine about that, but uh, we wanted to point out a few faves on the vegetarian scene. Um, I don't know if you've checked out Bee Burger yet on 17th Avenue, but um, not only are their burgers delicious, their milkshakes are to die for. I've seen Love photos them. and it looks fantastic. Oh my gosh, you just, you would never know that uh, there's no, you know, creamy, milky stuff in there. It's, it's really, really delicious. Um, Deacon Street's also kind of a cool story. Um, they started out as a food truck and then went into the markets, and now they have a sit-down place. Not at the moment, of course. We're in the middle of yet another mm-hmm. shutdown, but um, you can always order. That's, you know, we're really encouraging folks to um, support the businesses that way. Um, just order in. That's, we're getting to be pros at that now. Yeah, we are. Uh, you know, yeah. I... I tried to be a plant eater, but I kept chipping my teeth on the plant pot. Um, let's, um, you know, let's move. Uh, I want to talk Ooh. about the, the other part we want to talk about is great growers within this issue. <laughs> yeah, you, this one's for you because you're a fun guy, aren't you, Andrew? Oh, uh, man, oh. you can maybe get us on stage when this whole oh, pandemic too. thing's over. Okay? Oh, try We're the creating veal. dad jokes like nobody's Absolutely. Try the vegetarian veal. They're here all week, folks. Oh. <laughs> She's got a They're, job to do, Sue. She's, sorry, she's promoting Kevin. her magazine. Sorry. No, 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 that's okay. Um, so, yeah, we have, you know, Alberta sort of 
known for, I guess, big crops and, and beef. But uh, we have a lot of kind of boutique growers who make some awesome stuff, um, including the red fox fungi. Um, the cool thing about these mushroom growers is that they they grow these really unique um, breeds or varieties called like phoenix tail or chestnut or lion's mane, these cool things you've never heard of. And you could never import because mushrooms are so fragile, they don't um, they don't travel well. So you can only try them with a local producer. And fortunately, we have such, such a thing in red fox fungi. Um, there's also an enormous uh, Saskatoon berry farm nearby, and they have 40,000 Saskatoon bushes at the Solstice Berry Farm. Um, and fun fact, 5,000 pies a year. Can you imagine making that many pies? Mm, I can and, imagine eating them. <laughs> amen, sister. And one of my favorite ones um, is this Alpa Vertical Farms where three young men, students, decided that they wanted to um, get into the vertical farming game and make microgreens. And so they have a, an 1,100-square-foot facility in the, in the uh, Foothills Industrial Park. And, um, you know, they source local, they give back to charity, they, um, their excess crops go to the Calgary community fridge. And just, I just love this young generation who's really um, integrating sort of social causes into their businesses and uh, making awesome crunchy green things as they go. Fantastic. Okay, before we let you go, talk pavlova. Can we talk pavlova? Let's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're... The, first of all, one of the most beautiful things ever. And yes. they're Australian. I never, oh. you know, when you think of Australia, uh, you don't think of cuisine necessarily. And it turns out this is where this originates. I would have thought Russia with a name like Me Pavlova, too. but there you go. So it's meringue and whipped cream and fruit. Mm. And uh, it's beautiful. beautiful. Right. Yeah. And you can just um, kind of exercise your creativity by putting whatever sort of fruit on it. If you want to make a big kind of chewy one, you can, or break it up into little crispy bits. So Tanya Shop um, has some great tips and um, a, a master class here on how to make pavlova, and I, I'm i going to do it. Yes. It looks it looks so much fun and so delicious. On my to-do list this weekend. Thank you so much, Cammie. We'll uh, be heading to savercalgary.ca. Have a great uh, rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks, guys. Cammie Laird, of course, of Savor Calgary Magazine.